Hey, everybody. Well, welcome to Parkview. We're glad that you're here. Uh, I want to welcome everybody watching online because it's April and it snowed. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for watching online. Say hi to our campuses. I'm Casey, one of the pastors here. And I am, uh, I'm really excited. This is the week we get ready for Easter. Uh, Easter is a fantastic reminder of what Jesus has done for us. And I need reminders because I have a horrible memory. Um, I, if you were in my office at home, it's just covered in post-it notes. Like I have post-it notes referring to other post-it notes. It's like we're two levels deep at this point. Uh, I've got reminders set on all devices so that no matter where I am in the house, they all go off at once. So, you know, just don't forget. So I lose details like that, and maybe you do too. But there are things from my like past that I remember incredibly clearly. Like I remember my first kiss. She played softball and she had braces. I mean, how do you forget something like that? I remember, um, I remember my first home run when I was playing baseball. That was really cool. I remember the first time I ate at Geno's East. Can I get a witness? Yes. Uh, but I didn't eat at this one. I ate at the one that they ended up tearing down because you only went at night because you didn't want to see what was going on during the daytime. Uh, I remember my daughter's first words and I remember her first steps and the memory thing is really important. This reminder thing, this remembering thing is really important to me, and, and it's continued to be so. So this past year, I had the privilege of writing a book about it um, called, this, uh, as I recall, Discovering the Place of Memories in Our Spiritual Life, uh, because I kept having conversations. Oh, and by the way, they're available at all campuses this weekend if you want to grab a copy. Um, I kept having conversations with people, and every time we talked about things that they were going through or their faith or their journey, we always ended up going back to stuff that had happened in the past, especially when they were going through really difficult times. We were always going back to things that they remembered happening. And so I started to think about memories and started to study them, and what I realized is you and I believe, act, and think based on the things that we remember, based on our memories. Or another way to put it is this, our memories make us who we are. The person you are today is because of the stories of things that have happened in the past. Your memories make you who you are. We are all this patchwork of the beautiful and the brutal, the painful and the poetic. What does that mean? And how does that get, how do we get to that place where our memories make us who we are? Well, to do that, we have to talk a little bit about the brain. So if it's okay with you, I know it's early, but we're going to talk about the brain. Because I started to notice that the way that we lived was built on this whole idea of there's a story in our, in our brains that we've been telling. Here's the way I would talk to you about it. One of my favorite vacations is to go to the beach. And so we, my wife and daughter and I, would go out as the sun was setting and we'd walk down the beach and we would gather shells because that's just a really cool thing to do. And so as you lean down and you start picking up shells, you'll find some that have like the perfect shape and they're rounded and they're, the color is beautiful and then you turn them over and the inside is all smooth and pink or blue or whatever and it, it's just beautiful. But then some of them you find they've been smashed by the tide and they're all jagged and you feel like you would cut yourself if you actually picked it up and they're covered on the outside with old crusted seaweed and things like that. But if you take those and turn them over, you find that same beautiful color inside. Gathering shells is kind of the way you and I gather memories. Kind of the way we make memories, because it all starts in the same place. It all starts with an experience. Taste, sight, touch, smell, and sound. That's how we create memories. We gather these things, and we have them for like 30 seconds. Your short-term memory lasts like 30 seconds. That's where your grocery list goes to die, by the way. 
If you don't process stuff after 30 seconds, it goes bye-bye. Except for smells. There is no short-term memory for smells. It's all long-term. So everything you've ever smelled, you will remember for the rest of your life. That means rotted milk. That means skunks. That means vomit. You will never forget that smell. And some of you will only remember from this message that I used the word vomit, which is fine. You gather all these things in, and you either lose them or you keep them. And if you keep them, they become a memory. And a memory is just a picture of a moment. We have this memory of the first time we had this meal with somebody, and we can remember the tastes and the smells. We can remember it definitively. Or if you were, as a kid, you maybe got bit by a dog, you remember that picture. You remember the sound and the growling and the fury and the pain. You remember all of that so clearly. It becomes this picture of reality. But it doesn't stop there because then it goes from being a memory to becoming a story. It becomes a way that you end up seeing the world. So if as a kid you got bit by a dog, you have that picture in your brain, now it becomes a story, dogs bite. And that story gets fastened into our brains and then the stories end up becoming a script. And the script says, you got bit by a dog, all dogs bite, avoid all dogs. And that's how our memories make us who we are because they change everything that we do and every way that we see the world. So, if you have a memory in your past of being abused by someone in authority, whether physically or emotionally, you get this picture and this story that people in authority cannot be trusted. People I'm supposed to trust can't be trusted. And so you create this script of, I'm not letting anybody in. Or the opposite happens. The abuse happens and then you believe you are the one who created it and that it was your fault. And that's the story you see this memory through and then you move on. And you live by the script that you're worthless and that you caused this thing to happen. What I know in a room like this is a lot of us have come in and we've brought, we might be going through the darkness. We might be going through an incredibly dark time or a dark situation and we bring that in. And what we need in those moments is a different way of thinking about who we are. We need a different way of thinking about who we are because the wisdom of the Bible says this in Proverbs. It says there's a way that appears to be right but in the end, it leads to death. We have this story in our brains and a script for how we're supposed to live. And even though it might lead to death, the problem is we don't have anything else to work with. This is the only way we know how to handle it because it's the thing that we've picked up over the course of our lives. And so if we're in the middle of the darkness right now and we reach back for a story of hope and there isn't a story of hope there, it's going to be very difficult for us to go through that time. And in this week, as we prepare for Easter, especially on Good Friday that's coming up, we're confronted with this huge moment of darkness for the entire human race. But in this moment at Easter, God is doing something amazing. God is rewriting the way that we see our memories, our stories, and our scripts. God is telling us a brand new story that we can hang on to. That's what Easter is all about. God is reimagining the way you and I see everything. And what I love about God is that in the Bible, when God decides to change people's minds about something, he starts with dinner. Like every major event that happens, every life-changing thing that happens in Jesus' life, other than the crucifixion, usually happens around a dinner table. And I say that because, well, I love to eat, and those stories are easier to read that way. <laughs> When, when God wants to change the world, he usually starts with dinner. And because he starts with dinner, he usually gets people around a table. Now, what I know is a lot of us are preparing next weekend 
to have some time around the table with our families. Maybe you've been preparing for dinner with in-laws. You've been building up your emotional strength now for like since Christmas, which was the last time you saw them. For that, let's not talk about politics conversation or that, oh, I wonder if dad's going to do this again. You've been preparing for that, but some of you haven't been doing that. Some of you have been getting ready for family traditions, like everybody sits in their seat and every, you have the stories and the songs that you're going to tell around the table. You have those things. Some of you are going to have the Easter ham. I don't get this because Jesus was Jewish. How did we get to ham? <laughs> Personally, I would appreciate swapping it out for tacos, but that's just me. Some of you have the ham. Some of you have the Easter lamb cake. Let's, oh yeah. Isn't he cute? He's cute until somebody pulls out a cake knife and goes to town on that thing, isn't he? Like talk to your kids and see if that was a traumatizing moment for them. Don't cut the cake. We have these traditions that we celebrate where we gather around a table. And it's in this moment that Jesus actually changes the entire story of life and death and the darkness for all of us. Because you see, the beginning of this week, the Easter week, Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem and confuses everyone. No one knows what Jesus is up to. He rides in on a donkey. People think he's coming to declare war, but he's on a donkey, which means peace. All of his disciples are really confused. Like half of them think he's bringing war. Half of them don't know what he's doing. And so in that middle of that moment of confusion and darkness where nobody knows what's going on, Jesus finds the one thing that brings them all together. Dinner. And he gathers them around a table for a celebration, but not just any celebration. It's a celebration called the Feast or Festival of Unleavened Bread. It's a week long. It's like an eight-day celebration, an eight-day party. We could get next to that. An eight-day celebration, which in the middle, there's a meal called Passover, where they celebrate this incredible moment. And the guys in Jesus' group of friends, they would have done this since they were kids. They would have had like an Easter, ham, Easter cake ham kind of tradition with this because the Bible in Exodus says this. It says, keep this festival of unraised or unleavened bread. This marks the exact day that I brought you out in force from the land of Egypt. They brought them out of slavery, God did. Honor the day down through your generations as a fixed festival to be observed always. It's a meal based on a memory, a moment when God stepped into the darkness, took his people and brought them out. That's the moment that Jesus chooses to gather his friends around the table. That's the moment Jesus chooses to gather us around the table and tell an entirely different story about everything so that when we go through the dark in our personal, professional, emotional, spiritual lives, when we go through the dark, we have something to hang on to. But in the middle of the meal, Jesus changes the script, and that's what the important part is for us today. In Luke, it says this, Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. At a meal built on a memory, Jesus rewrites the script and gives them something to hang on to. He says, hey guys, next time you're together, next time you have bread and wine, when that happens, remember me. Because I know it's dark right now, and I got to tell you something, friends, it's about to get darker. Because what Jesus knew is the next two days were going to be the most traumatic of his and their life. He was going to be arrested for things he didn't do, tried and convicted for crimes he didn't commit, executed in the most public, shameful way possible, and people will make fun of him as he's dying. 
He knows that because of all that, it will be very easy for them to forget. Because, you know, when it gets dark in our lives, it's often really difficult to remember the pieces of hope. So Jesus says, listen, when it gets dark, hang on to this. When you got bread and you've got wine, no matter what else is going on, when it gets dark, remember me. Hang on to this. And he told them this because he knew it was going to be bigger than that. And he knew for us it was going to be bigger than that. He knew trouble was going to come. And John, it says this. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. And he's not condemning them. Jesus is just telling the truth. And you and I know this. Like, you don't have to go hunting for trouble. It will find you. And some of us know that. We've lost the house, the spouse, the job. We've gained the diagnosis or the divorce papers. And Jesus says, hey, when it gets dark like that, when it gets dark like that, remember, in this world you will have trouble, but remember me. Remember me. Remember what happened. Remember I said there will be trouble, but remember what's going to happen next as well. That's how we can call Good Friday good. Like this Friday, this coming week, we celebrate the death of an innocent man. How can you call that good? We can call it good because it's where hope really begins. Because there's a table, and then there's a cross, and then there's an empty tomb. And that's exactly what we need. Now listen, I get it. At this point, we want to fast forward to Easter. This is not that message. You guys came a week too early. I'm so sorry for that. We want to fast forward to hiding the eggs and the white frilly dresses and the Easter lilies and the Cadbury mini eggs, which will be served in my part of heaven if you want to be there. Um, we want to fast forward to that, but we would, be, we would lose so much if we did because here's the reality. There is no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. There is no resurrection without the crucifixion. And for you and I, in our dark spaces, there is no story of life if we don't encounter the reality of death. So Jesus says, listen, when it gets dark, remember me. Remember that my body was broken. Remember that my blood was spilled. And remember that that is a good thing. Because new life can come from that. Paul says this. He says, when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. Even in the midst of dark times, sometimes for good, new, beautiful, living stuff to come, something old has to die. And Jesus knew, you guys need to remember that this is how this thing works. My body will be broken, my blood will be shed, but that's not the end of the story. But when you're in the dark, you're going to have trouble remembering anything else. So when you're there, when you're there, remember me. But what does Jesus want them to remember specifically? I had a book that I read um, that really changed things for me when I was in my 20s. And it was a book called Life of the Beloved by a man named Henry Nouwen. And he takes this image of Jesus having the meal with the disciples and the bread and the juice or the wine. And he takes it and gives us four statements that we can hang on to. Four statements that tell us who we are. And so for those of us who have walked into this place, into our campus today, and we're dealing with the darkness, I want to give you these as something to hang on to as we go into this week in preparing for Easter. The first one is this. We can say, I am chosen. I am chosen. Now it actually uses the word taken, but if I said taken, we'd have to deal with the Liam Neeson movie, and I just don't want to do that. I am chosen, or I am taken. It's an important thing. Uh, when my wife and I first got married, uh, getting engaged, getting into a new family is kind of an interesting thing. So getting to know her parents and her family, it's kind of like you walk into the room and everybody's laughing because somebody told a joke, but you didn't hear the joke. 
You know what I mean? It's that awkward feeling like, I think I missed something. Because they had all their inside jokes and all their stories and all their traditions that they already had built up, and I was kind of stepping into it and kind of figuring out my place in the whole thing. And so after a couple months, we were, we were doing really well, and then we got to Christmas. And at Christmas, it came time for Christmas dinner, and I walked into the dining room, and I found my seat, and I knew it was my seat because nobody else was sitting there. Um, very perceptive, this one. And so I walk into the dining room, and I look, and at my place at the table, I found this. It's a tradition in my wife's family to take old Christmas cards and cut them up and laminate them and make placemats. Everybody else had a placemat in the family, and now I did too. Out of the billions of people on earth that their daughter could have married, she picked me. And they may have regretted that at a time or two, but I, we won't talk about that. But out of all the billions of people on the earth that their daughter could have married, she picked me. And they didn't see that as something slight. They said, actually, we want you to know you have a place here. So in the midst of the tradition, you have a place, Matt. You have a place to sit. So when Jesus takes the bread, it's a metaphor for you and I being chosen by God. From the beginning of time, God has chosen us to be part of his family. That's the story Jesus is telling as he takes the bread and the presence of the disciples. He says, guys, listen, when you're in the midst of the darkness, you may feel like you don't belong anywhere. You may feel like you're all alone in this. You may feel like no one has ever gone through this before and nobody understands the way you feel. And you may feel like no one is coming to help you. But when you get to that point of darkness, just remember, here's your place, Matt. You have a spot at the table. You belong here. And it's the story the Bible has been telling ever since the beginning. Jesus says, it says this in John, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Before you and I did, said, smelled, acted, did anything in our life, God said, I choose you. Here's your place, Matt. You belong. I loved you before you did anything to deserve it. Out of the billions, I chose all of you to be at my table, to be a part of this. In the dark times, this is the first thing that goes. We feel like we don't belong. We feel like we don't have a place to be. And that goes this in Ephesians as well. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He picked us to be a part of this family, this amazing transformational kind of family where we live differently from everyone else because that's desperately what we want he says, when you forget, when you get into the dark spots, when it looks like no one is there for you, when it looks like you don't belong anywhere else, here's your place, man. When God wanted to give his friends, wanted to give us a memory to hang on to, when things get dark, he said, I chose you to be part of my family. Here's your place, Matt. Take your seat. You belong here. You belong here. But he doesn't just stop there. Because it's important to know, he goes from I am chosen to also I am blessed. So he takes the bread and then he blesses it. He doesn't just stop with taking it. Blessing's an important thing. We had this tradition in my house when we invite people over for dinner, and we sometimes forget, but most of the time we try and do this really well. We ask them to sign the bottom of our dining room table. And so we have this jar of Sharpies. So after the dinner is over, we put this jar of Sharpies on the table, and most people are like, what are you doing with those? Like, why are markers involved? They're typically not involved in dinner. And so we give them markers, and we ask them to, now that they're full, lay on their backs underneath the table and sign our... This is a picture of last time we did it. It looks like a crime scene. They're all fine. Everybody's okay. 
We asked them to, to leave some words under the table and write some things on the bottom of the table. And the reason we did that is because the legs you see belonged to people who we wanted to be there. It wasn't just that they had the night free. It wasn't just they were the best next possible person who could be there. They're people we invited because we loved them, because we wanted them to be there. See, there's a difference between Jesus taking the bread and going, hey, guys, it's bread. It's day-old stuff from Jewel. It's fine. It'll sustain us. It's good. And Jesus taking the bread and then looking at it and going, ah, this is good. This is blessed. To be blessed, the meaning of the word blessed is to be in a state of being spoken well of. Most of us in the midst of darkness, we need to know we're a part of something, but we also need to know that God speaks well of us. That God looks at you and says, you are good. Not only do you belong, but you are good. So here's a Sharpie. Sign my table. There is nothing that says love more than, hey, vandalize my table. See, because for some reason, we've come by this story. We've come by this story that God just tolerates us. That Jesus died so God would be okay with us. That would be like Jesus saying, here, guys, here's some stale bread. But that's not what he does. Jesus says, no, this is the good stuff. It's still warm from the oven with herbs on the top and, hey, here's some extra butter. God doesn't just tolerate us. It isn't like we're the last person in junior high being picked for dodgeball and God's like, well, I guess I'll take them. Don't screw it up for us. It's very important to know when God looks at us, he chooses us, but then he also says good over us, speaks good of us. You are good. Not only do you belong, I want you to sign my table, autograph my table because I want you to know you belong here and you are good. Because in Jesus, what we learn is you don't die for people that you tolerate. You die for people that you love. You don't die for people you tolerate. You die for people that you love. And that's why Jesus can say in John, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus said, listen, it's not just that I've asked you to come here because you were the only ones available, that everybody else was busy. I brought you here because you're good. I gave you a placemat because you're good. So here, sign the table because you belong. In the midst of darkness, we need someone to speak well over us. We need a memory to remember that when we feel like we're at our worst, God looks at us and says, you are good. Sign my table. Because I'm not just tolerating you. I'm not just giving you a job. You're part of my family. That's why he says this. And John, again, you are no longer servants. You are now friends. You are good and you belong. I choose you and I speak well over you. And those are things that we can cling to when things get really, really dark. And we desperately need those two things, to be chosen and to be blessed, because the third one is not so easy. And that is, we have to say that I am broken. For us to understand how to deal with the dark, we have to understand how dark the darkness really is. That's a mouthful. Sorry. For us to get through the dark spaces in our life, we have to admit how dark the darkness really is. And it doesn't matter how we got there. Some of us got there by our own choice. We just did dumb stuff that we knew was going to turn out. Honestly, if you had asked us, we knew it wasn't going to go well. We knew there would be consequences, but we did it anyway. Sometimes it just happens because someone else did something and now it's falling on us. It's not our fault, but now it's our responsibility. 
And so now we're in a dark spot, whether we chose it for ourselves or it happened because of someone else, and we're trying to figure out what to do with that. So when we look at the story, Jesus takes the bread, speaks well over it, and then breaks it. Remember, he said, this is my body, and then he breaks it. And what he does when he does that is he says, when you go into the darkness and you are broken, just know you're not alone. I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like to hurt I know what it feels like to be betrayed. I know what it feels like to be broken. Jesus did what he did this week so that when we went into the darkness, we would know we don't face it alone. We aren't the only ones who know what it feels like to be broken by life, by others, by self. We don't go into that darkness by ourselves. Jesus knows what that feels like. There's a man named Gary Haugen who is the director of an organization called IJM, the International Justice Mission. And they do incredible work all over the world, legal prosecution against human trafficking and human slavery. But he tells this story about his kids. So he goes upstairs to the hallway where their bedroom is one night, and they're supposed to be in bed, but as he comes up to the top of the stairs, he sees his two little kids in their PJs with their stuffies trembling. And he goes, guys, what's wrong? And they go, Dad, there are monsters in our room. They're in there and it's dark. And the door's closed and they're standing there shivering. And this is that moment every parent has where you've got to figure out how you're going to respond to this. Because most of us do the dumb thing and we go, there's no monsters in there. You were just in there earlier. Turn the light on. See that nothing's wrong. Everything's going to be fine. So go back in there. Go to sleep. Hopefully we'll see you in the morning. Um, You'll catch that later. But that's not what he did. He looked at them. He said, monsters, really? And they said, yeah. He said, where are they? And they said, they're in the closet. And he goes, they always are. They're always in the closet. They said, what are you going to do? And he goes, okay, hang on just a second. Opens the door, goes in, leaves the lights off, shuts the door behind him. The kid's standing in the hallway. All of a sudden, they hear stuff crashing against the walls. There's groaning and screaming. And there's just the sound of this tremendous fight. And then everything goes quiet. And the kids in the hallway, I can't imagine they're going, Oh my gosh, they got dad. If they can take dad, what do we have to offer? And then you heard the latch on the door. And the door pulls open. And he walks out and he goes, okay, taken care of. It's safe to go back in. Is there a better metaphor for Easter? Jesus knew how dark it was. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus knew what it felt like to be broken. You are going to struggle with this, guys. I know what's coming. I know it might be your fault. It might be somebody else's. You're going to have to go into the darkness. But what I want to tell you is you're not going by yourself, and it doesn't get to win. Jesus goes to the cross, suffers and dies, and is broken for you and me, and then comes out the other way on Sunday and goes, okay, taken care of. Yeah, it's going to be dark in there, but everything's fine. You can go right through. So in the midst of your dark time right now, just know that it's not the end. Because the story that God is telling, the memory that he's giving us, is that death does not get to win. Instead, Jesus goes into the dark room, shuts the door, fights the fight, comes back out, and death, darkness, is embarrassed. It can't stand. It can't stand against Jesus. It can't stand against everything that he's done. This is why Paul says in Colossians, then God made you alive with Christ For he forgave all of our sins, which is beautiful. He canceled the record of the charges against us, whether we did it or what we're dealing with at all, and took it away 
by nailing it to the cross. But this is my favorite part. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Jesus took death and embarrassed it, pantsed it in front of the world so that you and I going through dark spots might go, we can laugh at it. I mean, it's hard when we're going through it. And we should be honest about that, but we know that the end of the story is different. So that's a memory we can hold on to. So when Jesus says, hey guys, do this in remembrance of me, he goes, remember that you're taken, absolutely. Remember that you're blessed, I speak well of you, but remember that you're also broken, and that's not the end of the story. Remember that as dark as it might be, that's not the end of the story, because the pain of Good Friday is the beginning of hope in the darkness. The pain of watching Jesus die for us is not the end of the story. It is the beginning. It's the beginning of a brand new memory that you and I get to hang on to because new life comes after that. Just like Paul said, again, I want to remind you of this. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. Jesus says, I've got to go do this so that I can come out of the dark and go, okay, taken care of. Keep walking. This isn't the end. You and I have been chosen by God, given a placemat at the table. You and I have been spoken well of and given a sharpie and said, autograph my table. I'd be so blessed if you'd do that. You and I have been broken, but we have someone who knows what that feels like. But that isn't the end. Because there's one more thing that comes out of this whole story. And the last phrase in the, in the series is that I am given. First four months of 1996... Three major crises happened in my life. Super Bowl Sunday, a friend of mine from high school took his life. In that same month, uh, my dad moved out, ending his and my mom's 19-year marriage. In April of that year, I had a car accident that if the car had not hit me, had hit me like a foot further towards the driver's side, I probably wouldn't be standing here talking to you. And the funny thing about that is, is our memories, because I remember very clearly what song was playing on my cassette player. Yes, I said cassette player. I am that old. It was Dire Straits' Sultans of Swing was playing on my car stereo as this car smashed into me. I remember that so clearly. That was a traumatic little window of my life. Like, if you want to talk about darkness, that was the darkness. But you know what the weird thing is? Now, as a pastor at 40, remember? Um... I find myself talking to kids whose parents have been divorced. I find myself talking to people who have lost a child or a sibling to suicide. I find myself talking to people who've had life crises, car accidents, health issues that have just rocked their entire world. And I realize if it hadn't been for the darkness, I would have nothing to give them. Because I can sit next to them and put my hand on their shoulder and go, oh, I, I know, I get it. I get it. Not only does Jesus take us and bless us, not only are we broken and broken with him, but then he also gives. Because you realize, if Jesus had never torn the bread, there wouldn't be enough for all the guys at the table. The bread doesn't get spread. The hope doesn't get shared unless it's broken first. The darkness turns into the story of hope that we get to tell a world that desperately needs it. In other words, the gift the gift of Jesus is meant to be shared by broken people. It's not the pros who tell the story of Jesus. It's not the elite. It's not the academics. It's broken folks like me and you. There is someone in your life that needs to hear that the darkness doesn't get to win. 
They need to be honest about it. You need to have an honest conversation that this stinks and I don't want to go through it. But at the end, we can say, but guess what? That's not the end. So many of us have darkness that we have gone through that's become hope and now we get to give it away. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that is a memory we can hang on to for whatever darkness we're going through today. We're going to take communion here in just a few minutes. We're going to sing first and then we're going to take communion. As we take communion, I would love to invite you to think about these four phrases that we've talked about. What does it mean for you today to know that you have been chosen, that God has put a placemat at the table just for you? What does it mean for you to be blessed? to be spoken well of, to know that God looks at you and doesn't just tolerate you. He's like, I want you here. Sign my table. What does it mean to understand that being broken isn't the end of the story? Being broken isn't the end of what God is doing. And what does it mean for you to remember that you have been given, that there are people who want to hear the story of how you've come through the darkness and into the light? I'd love for you to think on those things as we take communion together. Let me pray for you. Father, today we're grateful because you've done more than we could ask or imagine, like you always do. We're grateful for this week that is incredibly sad and incredibly dark. We're grateful for this week when we struggle to watch you die for us. But thank you that that isn't the end of the story, but it's simply the beginning. It's the beginning of new life. It's the beginning of a new story that we can remember throughout the darkness that we face. May we latch onto that with both hands and hold on tight as it guides us through whatever darkness we're dealing with, that we may find hope in the dark. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.